Hi everyone, my name is Nick Coons and this is Next Generation Saints. This is a Christian apologetics ministry where I talk about theological, social, practical, and political issues of the day. This podcast is based on the biblical principle that it is, the Bible is the full authoritative word of God and how it connects to everyday life. So without further ado, let's launch into this. Looking up a lot on the news, on social media, other platforms about the rise of socialism and during the 2016 election time when bernie sanders was running for office a lot of churches in fullerton were showing signs of socialism is biblical socialism is biblical socialism is biblical and they kept jumping back and forth on this notion and telling the same exact thing oh yeah socialism is biblical fast forward now to 2019 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialist from New York. I call her the Socialist because there's no such thing as Democratic Socialism versus Socialism. No one can ever give an objective definition of it, so I'm just going to call it as it is. It's horse bunk. It doesn't exist. There's no difference between the two. Democratic just makes it sound better than Socialism. So instead of saying, well, we're Socialists, it's now we're Democratic Socialists. Please. Anywho. So they talked about how biblical socialism is how biblical it is all good and when i talk to many of the people behind socialism many of whom are at my work they all say the same thing they believe that the that the rich need to pay their fair share that they don't pay enough in taxes that they pay no nothing in taxes folks if you look at the irs they'll actually say that the top one tenth of one percent will actually pay 70 percent in taxes so we know that's baloney the other issue we have here is simply this. When socialists then, who love to attack Christianity, they attack it left, right, and center. I've come across many who say they're not religious, they don't like organized religion, they are so against religion, they're against Jesus, they're against, against, against. But suddenly they're accepting Jesus Christ when they can twist it into their own political narrative. This reminds me back in the day of the Civil War when um, many people were saying that we're going to fight for slavery, we're going to fight anti-slavery, and we're going to have God on our side. I remember one of the uh, reading in the book about how one of the generals for Abraham Lincoln said, let's pray that God is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. And I'm paraphrasing this. He said, let's not hope that God's on our side. Let's hope that we are on God's side. So a lot of these people are against Christianity to a large extent. They're against God. They're anti-theists, they're atheists, they're agnostics. And they're really not for what the Bible teaches. Unless, of course, it goes to their narrative. So when they preach about how wealth redistribution, which can only happen by gunpoint and by force, they say that's good. Well, if, you ha if you're taking someone's money away from them, forcibly taking it away from them at gunpoint... Well, let's go through this really fast and look at the Ten Commandments right here, since they want to say that the Bible agrees with them. The Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment says, you must not steal. What's stealing? Forcibly taking something away from somebody else. That's called theft. You're taking something that does not belong to you and taking your own private ownership over it, or you're, the government's taking it away from you. That's called theft. Now, if we did a voluntary transaction, this is the difference between socialism and capitalism, by the way. Capitalism is, I make something in a goods and service. Let's say I make like this can that's in right next to me of WD-40. I make this can of WD-40, right? And the only, and I want your money. 
Well, the only way I'm going to get your money is if I make this can of WD-40 and I convince you to buy it. And that you can see that's a worthwhile product and you really like it. And then you decide you want it. I can only get it through a voluntary means of transaction. I have to give you my hard-earned money to get this can of WD-40 that you put together. And I better make sure it works out nicely. But that's how it works. Socialism, on the other hand, is... I don't need to make anything different for you. I don't have to make this can of WD-40. I have to send men and women with guns to your house, cock them and aim them at your head, and forcibly take any of your wealth away, your money away from you. That's called theft. That's why I'm, I'm a heavy believer that taxation is legalized theft. You know, mankind says, well, it's fine to steal someone else's money. It's so funny to me that socialists love to play this game of, well, it's perfectly acceptable if we all vote to commit theft that it's no longer theft. Well, that's a problem. Theft doesn't change just because you all voted that it's perfectly fine to steal someone else's money. And I'll go more into this later on. Now, here's another part. Socialism is a lot about coveting what someone else has. When you're reading about in Karl Marx, Karl Marx repeatedly is talking about how he he looks at everyone else, has they have too much wealth. Even Bernie Sanders at one point says, the rich have had too much success in America. Yes, Bernie, that's the point. America is the wealthiest nation on earth. It is the most successful country on earth. It is the most powerful and most prosperous country on earth. Our stock market controls the entire world's economic system. We're that good. Yes, Bernie, that's how it works. So when he comes out and says, uh, you know, oh my gosh, the wealth is, there's too much wealth at the top. Also understand this man's never actually had a job in his life. He hasn't pushed for anything in his life before. He's never worked a hard day's work of labor in his life. He couldn't sink a nail to save his life. This guy went to the Soviet Union in 1988 and praised the communist regime, saying how beautiful and wonderful it was. Went to Cuba, said how gorgeous it was and how wonderful communism was. He praised the communist leaders. By the way, these are the same people who killed their own people. Who are, these are the same people who are responsible for over 100 million deaths in the last century alone. And Bernie's praising them. He is singing their song. Oh, look how wonderful they are. They are so fantastic. And I hope you like my Bernie Sanders impersonation. I gotta make up voices as I go. Well, you know, the top 1% has so much wealth. And look at all these. They had a wonderful education system. They had a wonderful economy. They had wonderful this and wonderful that. You know, socialism and communism is always great when you're in the main city. I mean, look at North Korea. You go to Pyongyang, and everything looks great. People who love the regime the most live there, who are the most loyal to the regime live there. Watch it on YouTube. There's a hundred different documentaries all pointing the same thing, all have different perspectives, but all showing the same thing. And they all say about how, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful in there. But then when you leave Pyongyang, the minders have to be careful on what you see. They keep away from everything. They just show you what they want you to see because if they showed you what's really going on, people are starving to death. They are malnutrition. That's why people are jumping the border of North Korea into China by the thousands, all the time, millions perhaps at this point. China has a big issue on their hand when it comes down to their border. So you see how socialism doesn't do anything. And it turns into an, um, a totalitarian government where Kim Jong-un is at the top. Well, Bernie Sanders is over in Russia 
praising communism. How wonderful it is. How the free healthcare, the free college, the free this, the free... Oh, it's wonderful. The same country that killed over 100 million people in the last century. And he's praising their regime. Tells you a lot about who he is, folks. Tells you a lot of how he is a very devout communist. And that he said, well, socialism is the best way to go. Vladimir Putin put it this way. Um, oh, what, what wasn't Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Lenin said it the best way. My apologies. So the ultimate goal of socialism is communism. And so when I hear about it nowadays where I hear so many people talking about, well, it's democratic socialism. We're not talking about real, you know, hardcore socialism. And then you ask them to explain it, and they're all Marxists. And uh, Marxism, or the Communist Manifesto, is what killed over 100 million people in the last century alone. Yes, folks, that is what caused Nazi Germany. That's what caused Russia. For goodness sake, if you have your head up your rectum and you can't see it, you got a problem. So, going into that more, Karl Marx basically wrote his book, and I'll summarize it for you. Hate the person who has more than you. Well, here's a problem. If you're a Christian and you're defending it, or you're a socialist trying to twist Christianity or the Bible to agree with your political narrative, let me throw you a little bit of a hard point here. In the Ten Commandments, it says in the Tenth Commandment, you must not, you must not covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not envy, be envious of your of his house, nor his wife, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. If you're sitting there looking at the top one-tenth of one percent going, they have so much wealth, I want that wealth, I want that wealth, you're coveting their stuff. You're coveting it. You want to take it by force, which is the Eighth Commandment, that's a violation directly of it, which ultimately leads to Sixth Commandment violation, which is you should not commit murder, and you're on the Tenth Commandment violation because you're, you're envious of your neighbor's stuff. This is not, the Bible doesn't agree with socialism whatsoever. Now, I will give you this. The Bible doesn't communicate any political ideology. That's true. But you can line up the political ideologies that we talk about these days to the Bible and see where they agree or contradict the Bible. It's not that difficult, folks. You can easily do that. So you're on violation pretty much of three commandments. One is you're gonna, you are envious of your neighbor's stuff. You're envious of the top one-tenth of one percent or the top one percent's wealth. So what you want to do is you want to get force them to pay higher taxes. When they don't want to pay far higher taxes, which I don't, I don't blame them for, suddenly you must go over to them and with, with men and women with guns to take their wealth against their will. So you must violate the Eighth Commandment. And if they don't want to do it and they fight you over it, you could shoot them in the head for no particular reason on that, because that's what they do ultimately in the twenty-first in, uh, in in the last century alone, and therefore they murdered them. So you violated three commandments, and I don't know how you can intellectually stay consistent and say, "Well, that was Christianity." You know that that was what the Bible taught. You know, so all these churches that are advocating socialism are preaching a false gospel. Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says, Even if anyone comes to you, if an angel from heaven, I'm going to paraphrase this for you, if an angel from heaven or somebody else even comes to preach another gospel other than the one we've been teaching you, may they be under God's curse. If you're teaching a false gospel in order to get a political narrative out there, you need to stop. I'll call you out on it. I got my eyes and ears open. 
So that's one of the biggest issues I have here for right now on this socialism ideals. Now, I know I'm going to sound crazy, but ultimately what I can see, especially with Antifa rising continuously, the the stock market that shows ammunition sales are skyrocketing, firearm sales are skyrocketing, and people just talking on regular news channels, not the mainstream media, but on other news sources, it sounds like a civil war is going to happen here. And it's not, you know, because we're already technically at civil war on Twitter. Let's be honest here. You can write a five-second digital attack against somebody and just start throwing digital scuff, you know, um, scuffs at each other continuously through Twitter. Twitter's one of those places that you just go to if you want to pick a fight most of the time. So is Facebook, but yeah. Now, for the second part of the show, I wanted to talk about here, because it's something that really weighs heavily on my heart as a Christian, is abortion. Now, I know this is a hot topic for a lot of people, talking about abortion. You have the two groups called pro-choice and pro-life. Pro-choice believes that the child in the womb is not really a child. That what if there's rape or incest that takes place and the mother wants to abort the child or the fetus. And then they believe that, you know, it's not really even a human being. It's a clump of cells and that's all it is. And it had, there's no problem actually killing this child in the womb. What's of inconvenience? Pro-life says that all things are created in the, in the image of God. That there's no right to kill a child in the womb. And left argues drastically against this. So you have the Christians saying one thing and then you have the left saying something completely different. So I'm going to go on this one because honestly it's quite, quite frustrating. When I talk to many people about abortion and I've asked of does human beings have intrinsic worth. They tell me they don't. Now intrinsic worth simply means... is defined as belonging naturally or essentially. So when someone has intrinsic worth, and I say they also have innate value, what does that mean? It means in, inborn or natural, innate. So when they talk about this in abortion, they treat human beings like they have no real value. Our society gives them value. And that's what defines whether or not we keep them alive or not. I strongly disagree with this notion. The reason being is because, well, I saw this happen. Well, I didn't see this happen, I should say. I heard about this happening back in the 1930s with the rise of the Nazi party. What they did is they would tell us that Jews were only worth, were not even worth anything, to be honest. <clears throat> that they were subhuman. That it was white Aryans that had blue, blonde hair, blue eyes, that really had value to them. And this is what frustrates, frustrates me nowadays. You know, we talk about how evil the Nazis were, how terrible the Nazis were, how terrible this and that, and that they, you know, how dare they say these things. But then I look and go, well, if your point of view is pro-choice, and you're telling us that this human being in the womb is not really a human being, then how are you any different in your ideology to the Nazis who preached about how, you know, Jews didn't have <clears throat> any worth or anything? Truth be told, you're not any different than they are. 
you're just the same. And that's, for, that's a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of different people. They think, you know, oh, I'm not a Nazi, because it, it, Nazis has a bad word to it. That's true, and I agree with that. The Nazi is a very bad bad thing to have, call somebody. But if your ideology intertwines with, the not, with their ideology, then you need to be called out for what it is. Now, I can talk politics on that all day, but what I'm going to do is stick over to <clears throat> the Bible. What does it teach? Well, I know human beings have intrinsic value with innate worth. Because if you look over at Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And to finish it off, as I pointed you a prophet to, to the nations. But if we just stop over at set apart, God finds us to have intrinsic value. <clears throat> Another one is, if you look over at Luke 15, 7. If you also look over at the very first premise that God states and indicates great values in God's creation of man is that we are made in God's image. This indicates God's high regard for mankind's worth. We would say for even a would we say even for a moment that such a loving gift like life giving to us in a form that is an image of our of mankind, how can we be worthless? So we see this in Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 9.6. For you formed my inward parts. You did knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearly and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret... Interconnected, woven, and in depth of the earth. What you see here is in Psalms 139, 13 through 15. God does not make mistakes. You find this over in Luke 12, chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. We are not, sorry, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not. You are more valued than many sparrows. Another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20. For ye are brought with a price. You, you were brought, bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's, as in it belongs to God. The Bible teaches us that life has intrinsic value, innate worth. It teaches us that it is wrong to take a life out of greed, anger, jealousy, hatred, revenge. These things are murder. So when we see people nowadays, and I see those pro-choicers saying, well, <clears throat> this isn't really a human being. It has no real worth to it. It's whatever the mother gives it. I look and go, well, you're absolutely wrong. It is born with it. And I think the main reason that people jump to this conclusion, I really hold this, is because they're godless. They have no loving God for God in their hearts. They have no understanding of who God is. They have no understanding of his what he teaches. They are quick to dismiss him in all cases. They're quick to... Step aside from him. 
They are quick to slander him. They are quick to jump to emotional conclusions instead of seeking the guidance of the Lord in all things. You know, I was thinking about it some more. And this is kind of off topic. But it's like when we had the conversation before about gun control, gun reform, when they had the Parkland shooting in Florida. And I understood where everyone was coming from. The frustration, the anger, my goodness, this guy named Nicholas went off and shot up a school with an AR-15. 332 round. I like guns. And oh my goodness, how could this happen? And the Christians came forward and said, look, we're going to offer our, our thoughts and our prayers because there was nothing we could really do immediately. And what's the response of the left? Thoughts and prayers are not good enough. Not good enough. That we need to take immediate action right now. And the first thing I thought was, I've been in, <clears throat> I'm in my 30s. I've been 20 years old. I know it's like to jump to immediate conclusions, to leap immediately into action without thinking. And quite honestly, it's pretty disastrous. That's why we look at the Bible and it says, The wise man seeks counsel from the Lord. In my experience with God, I seek counsel from Him. I go to Jesus Christ and I seek counsel. Not because I don't want to do something. It's not because I don't want to take action to accomplish something. That's not it at all. The reason I seek counseling and guidance from the Lord is because I want to take action. It's because I want to make a change and a difference. But I know for a fact that I am going to probably do something really dumb. Really stupid. I'm going to mess something up. So that's why I go, okay, what does God want to do about this? But... You don't see that coming from the left. You see them <clears throat> easily dismiss Christ. Easily dismiss prayers. Easily dismiss all these for immediate action. Immediately, immediately. I'm going, that's what I'm kind of going, you're not going to solve the problem. The same problem is going to be sitting there tomorrow doing the exact same thing. Because you didn't learn the first time. Well, it's food for thought. I do want to leave you on this. On this one particular note. Because I'm always going to leave this show with you guys on a final thought. And uh, to give you hope. If this is the first time you ever heard a Christian apologetics thing, that's fine. I want you to know that God loves you. That there is a God that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. And that through accepting of his son's sacrifice, you can have eternity. <clears throat> I'm going to quote the scripture to you. I memorized it. John 3.16. You probably have heard of it before. It's called the gospel in a nutshell. Billy Graham said it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I continue on by saying, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I leave you on this note of, of true peace. That yes, all these bad things happen, I'm going to talk about them. But Jesus Christ is there. 
So until next time, may God richly bless you, my dearly beloved.